Hello and welcome to this two-part podcast series called The Journey of Relationship. My name is Adam Ormord. I'm the Executive Director of Grafted Life Ministries. I'm excited to welcome you to this conversation between Mark and Diane Warner and Kurt and Debbie Swindoll. Mark and Diane are pastors of Vineyard Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas, and Kurt and Debbie Swindoll founded Grafted Life Ministries. We invite you to listen in as Kurt and Debbie talk to Mark and Diane about life with God, which is one of the primary ministry tools that Grafted Life has to offer. Uh, We just invite you to sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. Grace and peace, everyone. We're here with Kurt and Debbie Swindoll from Grafted Life Ministries. What an amazing opportunity to finally sit down and have this conversation with you guys. Why don't we talk a little bit about how Life with God was birthed and and where that got started? Yeah, you know, um, Grafted Life came to be from really a group of grad students. Um, We'd all gotten our degrees in spiritual formation, Mm -hmm. and our passion was really for the local church. Mm -hmm. A lot of our colleagues, they wanted to start retreats, or they wanted to do something kind of outside of that, but we really had a burden for what could we bring to the church. But um, that's kind of a translation issue, because you come out of seminary, and you got a captive audience, and when you now go into the local church, it's a whole nother um, dynamic. And so we sat for quite a while and really prayed and discerned, how do we bring resources to that environment that will really work? We initially thought our work would be in just providing counsel to churches Mm -hmm. and how to engage in formative practices and things like that. But pretty quickly, Debbie realized, no, we need something that will hold people in place while their um, while their heart changes through the work of the spirit, yeah. So that's how life with God came to be. Like, mm-hmm. what would be, you know, an appropriate journey? What would be developmental? What would be incremental right. for people in a church setting? And and how would we leave room in all of that for what the Holy Spirit wanted to do? And that really ends up being the mystery of life with God for me. Right. You know, people can even pick up a book and read it, but until they're in a group mm-hmm. and they and that space for the Holy Spirit is created, mm-hmm. that's where something really powerful happens. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, honestly, I can't take a lot of credit for it. I think God just led us to the model. Yeah, the comprehensive nature of it is what, as a pastor, what really draws me that you can, if you did even one semester, if you did the first semester, the genesis of relationship, uh, it is incredibly catalytic in your own spiritual growth. But then there are five additional semesters where you can really dive deeply. And, and the, the thing is, is, is you can, we've actually envisioned using it here through small group, uh, a small group model. Um, but we've also noticed that our, that it could be, it could be actually translated through a number of other ways as well. You know, the, the thing I love about it too is it, it's, it's six week, it's six semesters, but it doesn't just stand alone. Um, I have to mention this now or I'll forget it. You guys built this thing called Do You Love Me, which is a shorter little four, four, uh, week, I guess it is a four week kind of product. And, uh, Diane recently led a, a ladies group here at our church using Do You Love Me. And, uh, why don't you just talk about that a little bit and then let's, let's actually use that as a way to introduce that product as well. Well, I love, um, the way it was designed for people to interact with the material out 
on their own during the week. And unlike Bible studies that we've done over the years, this is everybody reacting to the material on their own, outside of class, coming in and um, sharing with others. That's a valuable thing right there, sharing with others what God has said to them. And so they're really capturing that when they share that with the group. Mm-hmm. Um, this was unlike any um, group I've been a part of other than my spiritual direction cohort. Mm. Wow. It was um, instantly, I was really shocked by it. Wow. Um, I wasn't prepared. I kind of thought that the first week um, we would still kind of have our walls up. Mm. So I just wasn't really prepared. I mean, I had been praying that this would happen, but instantly the first week, people are sharing from their hearts, from their souls, really. And you know when that happens, when people start to share their souls. We had to run, grab boxes of Kleenex, grab it, put it in the middle, and we realized, okay, every single week we've got that box of Kleenex out there, but... Um, and the women were surprised too. They kept saying, Oh my goodness, this is just powerful. What God is saying to them, Mm. not us doing the old, I know this is what I'm supposed to be saying, Mm. uh, and I'll say the right answer, but, um, this is what God said to me. Mm -hmm. And, and, um, a friend of mine left the first class and she said, that was just so awesome. I love, and from the training, um, you are taught that you affirm everybody's experience. Mm. Even if it's not the right answer, whatever they say, you're just affirming. And um, my friend said to me, that was just powerful how you affirmed everybody's response. Mm. And, you know, we don't experience that often. Mm. We usually try to correct. And so that was just powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Um, it, it whetted everybody's appetite, and um, all those ladies are just really excited to dive into life with God now. You know, one of the things I love about that book is that it starts off with a bang. Mm-hmm. Debbie's very vulnerable about her story and her experience, L- literally the right. first paragraph, right? Mm-hmm. And she asks a question in that first paragraph that is, I think, a haunting one for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And it is that if Jesus said that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, she says, then I must be doing something terribly wrong. And I have talked to so many guys about that, Mark, about does your Christian life feel like God's yoke is easy and his burden is light? Yeah. Is that your experience of the Christian life? Yeah. And, it, and it just jumps from there, right? Yeah. Because we have to realize that is not the way most people experience their life, oh, yeah. which then opens the door to, I wonder what else is possible. Right. And once you have that question in the room, then um, I, I just see that God goes to town with that. And people yeah. now are on a search for something different than what they're currently experiencing. Yeah. You know, I've, I grew up in the church and was, I did lots of Bible studies in my twenties and thirties. I didn't go to seminary till I was in my Mm forties. And so, I mean, I wrote life with God in my late forties, early fifties. And, um, one thing we always say about all of our grafted life materials is there, there are no right answers. And I think in a traditional Bible studies, we're always looking for the right answer. We're a little mm-hmm. bit maybe anxious about getting the right answer or not presenting the quote-unquote wrong answer. 
We say at Grafted Life, there's only real answers. There's only where you really are in your relationship with God. And that's what we invite you to bring into the room. That's what we invite you to experience in your life as you're processing the questions. Um, When we designed the books, um, we decided very intentionally there will never be lines. Mm -hmm. There will only be space. You mean like blanks to fill in? Yes. Yes. There's no lines. Even Uh where there's big spaces, we didn't put lines. It's like there's just space for you to record what happens with you and God. You mean, Debbie, when you get to heaven and you, and you meet Jesus, he doesn't give you a 10-question quiz? It's like, it's like to get into heaven, you must pass this 10-question pop quiz. Read right? these three verses. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. It's actually about knowing him and having a, a knowing relationship with God. And it's yeah. actually about being present to what is really happening. And that may not even be a positive thing. It may not feel positive to you. Yeah. But that's okay to bring in and to talk about with other people in your group, to be honest about. One of the most surprising things to me about Life with God and the studies that we've done is that I've done them a second and at times a third time, mm-hmm. and my experience of it is different every time yeah. because the Holy Spirit's doing something different in my heart each time. And past studies, it felt like once I learned it, I learned it, mm-hmm. and there was nothing else to to kind of glean from it. But with this, going back through the material is not about going through the material. It's about going into my heart, Mm -hmm. which is at a different place today than it was a year or two ago. And so the Holy Spirit uses the materials a different way each time. And we've heard that story over and over again from others that have experienced these materials. Yeah, you know, my experience is I worked through Do You Love Me, right? And uh, was uh, there have been times, and I, I think you guys will know how I mean this, there have been times when I've led Bible studies that have been written primarily by a woman, and it wasn't as accessible for men, right? Mm. And where I felt like it was coming from a very a def, a definite, like, f- a feminine point of view. And when we were in the Bible study, I didn't feel like the men were able to capture some of the concepts and the nuances. And I didn't feel that way about your material at mm. all. I, I really felt like it was a voice that men could grab onto and hold mm. onto um, and challenge, uh, be challenged by. I'll, I'll be honest with you, just working through Do You Love Me, uh, just in my training with you guys, uh, was enough to make me realize that it's going gonna, it's gonna to kind of bring the things to the surface that you, in some cases, I don't want to talk about, right? <laughs> um, yeah. but, but things that you, you really need to grapple with as you learn to love and walk with Jesus, right? So. Debbie always felt, and you could say it, you know, you always felt called to minister to men and women. Right. I mean, she's really, you've, and I don't know if you feel like you can say this, but I can say it on your behalf. She's had invitations to work predominantly with women's groups and women's ministries, but she has always come back to know men and women need to experience this. And it's not been a limitation in my experience working with several men's groups and and others that I know who have worked with men's groups. I think what really struck me in my grad program was that it was all of our cohorts were mixed gender. Hmm. And that was such a rich experience for me Hmm. because we have the fullness of God Hmm. when we're all there together. And so there was mixed, also mixed generations and mixed gender and I don't know. I I felt that uh, um, 
people received from that cohort just a very rich experience, you know, the genderful God. And um, so, yeah, I've, I've always liked that about spiritual formation. Um, and at the same time, I know that there are times and places in our lives where we may need to be in a group that's just our gender for our own healing. Sure. So I'm not, I'm not against that in any way, right. but, um, but it's wonderful when we get to the place where we can hear all voices and receive them mm-hmm. in our growth. Yeah, that's so good. Why don't we talk, why don't we go back to, you mentioned earlier that you went to seminary in your late 40s. So what precipitated that change in your life, right? Um, you know, it was, uh, it was a journey for me. You know, in my later 30s, probably um, in my own spiritual growth, um, I kind of was having a, a wow, <laughs> Okay, this is this is the honest truth of wow, it really happened. God started shutting down my coping mechanisms. Wow. And I started spir- experiencing a lot of anxiety, and my anxiety was growing. Mm-hmm. And all the ways that I had learned to cope, I come from a family that, you know, had a lot of issues. My dad was a pastor, I'm a PK. Um, but he um he had repeated moral failings. Mm-hmm. In his life. And so my parents' marriage was not all that stable, although on the surface, you know, it was working out okay. But then they ended up splitting when I was in my early 20s, right? But literally right as our first child was born. And um, so there was, you know, my own personal background just kind of was breeding ground for anxiety, for what's kind of behind the curtain that you don't know about. And so that really started kind of spiraling out of control. And I just didn't have, as I look back now, a strong enough relationship with God to really weather that. And so all the coping mechanisms that I was bringing to the table on my own um, really started to fail. And I think that was a gift of the Holy Spirit, that he was just shutting those things down. And so... I started kind of moving. I, I think he was, he kind of was throwing breadcrumbs on the trail for me. Sure. And eventually I heard about this bro- program at Talbot at Biola University in spiritual formation. And I looked at the, at the coursework and I thought I would take every one of these classes. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and it was just, um, something I really wanted to do. Now, the irony is I did not have a bachelor's degree, and so I was not going to get into seminary. But I had a friend who said, well, you should call them, and you should just talk with them. And I did. And talk about a God thing. They said, well, you know, it's interesting because we just had a conversation about admitting students that didn't hadn't completed their bachelor's degree. So call back in the fall. And I called back in the fall, and they said, we've just, we've just finalized our decision, and you can apply. Wow. And so it was one year from that fall that I started mm-hmm. and went into this master's program in spiritual formation and soul care. Mm-hmm. Also got training there to become a spiritual director. And it just changed my life completely. It changed our whole family's lives completely. Yeah. In what and, way? And, Tell us. You know, um, I think that before I'd grown up in a, you know, predominantly evangelical environment where. It was a lot of learning about the word and doing and 
right behavior and from, you know, my background where my dad did not, quote unquote, had right behavior, I think I was super vigilant about that, even that I have to make up for the fact that, you know, here is this blown past and kind of this family shame. Because, you know, fallen pastors, especially in the 60s and 70s, I mean, that was a pretty big deal. I mean, that Ooh, yeah. that had a lot of shame. Even you more know? so than now. Yeah, right? totally. It just wasn't, it seems like it happens all the time these days. Yeah, like we lived in yeah. Washington State. We moved to Southern California when my dad left the church. Wow. I say we entered the spiritual witness protection program. <laughs> you know, that it's had like, to be really hard. It, wa- it was, you know, wow. it was informative for an eight year old. And, well, um, and the internal word is, don't talk about this. We don't talk this. about it. This is, this oh, is yeah, family this business. So this wasn't the ultimate don't talk rule. Then. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. This was the family taboo, you know, to mention this. So coming then into a program where it was like God God's loves you and wants to have a relationship with you, and there's nothing you can do to change his love for you. Wow. And... There's a person present to be with you in whatever um, was a revelation. I mean, I grew up in a church that said, Jesus wants to have a personal relationship with you. It just didn't mean anything to me. It wasn't tangible. Sure. And, and in, my, in my seminary program, then this became real. And so I think... For me personally, what I processed there was a lot of my past, where going back with Jesus, where he really was present, it was interesting because almost every year, I was in the program for three years, and almost every year, God brought up some memory from my childhood that was significant about how I had gotten along in life on my own. Mm. And so, and this was part of, you know, the coping mechanisms that I had. They were all my own devices to get along when what I really needed was him to get along. Yeah. And, you know, uh, that's been the journey since, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. because we never quite get everything in our convoluted hearts aligned with Jesus is the answer. But so now that is just the process of life for me, like. No, no, I don't have to do that on my own. I don't have to act autonomously and keep my act together. One of the core things that became a thing for me with my anxiety was, and I experienced it a lot when I traveled, was I'll hold on till I get home. Hmm. And now I think about I don't have to hold on. I need to hold on to Jesus. Like I need a different movement in my heart that's relational that leans into his presence and him being there and his love. Um, because, uh, frankly, I'm just bad at holding on on my own. I mean, I have so many inadequacies in that place. And so this has been the journey for me. I'll tell you, Debbie, that the experience that you just described, I think is probably very common for a lot of people who maybe grew up in more of a holiness tradition or an evangelical uh, tradition, this idea that we're, we're going to hold on till Jesus comes back mm. or hold on, uh, just grit our teeth and hold on white knuckle until uh, we can exit this, this mortal coil with all of its trouble and pain. 
versus being present with him now in the present, being able to live in that place above anxiety and, and all of that. Wow, that's, that's amazing. That's a great... We feel all this, sh- this shame and guilt for not abiding by the scriptural imperative, right? Yeah. Be anxious for nothing. Yeah. And so we, we have tried mind over matter mm-hmm. over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I think Debbie's story illustrates what I think many people experience. It, it just isn't, it isn't like that. Yeah. It doesn't work like that, yeah. you know? And it takes, um, it takes, I think, a better understanding of who God is and his desire for relationship with us and his complete thorough, unlimited knowledge of who we are, even knowing us better than we know ourselves. I think it takes traveling through some of those roads of our past that have brought us, you know, to where we are and bringing those things to the Lord and sitting with some of those things. Mm -hmm. So there in life with God is a lot about reflection in engaging in some kind of activity and then just spending time examining now how did some of that make me feel and where am i with this and where is god in this and it's there it's that process that we go through over and over again as we learn more about god as we learn more about ourselves mm-hmm. so we fall more in love with him because we know that he already is in love with us mm-hmm. and then and then through that experience begin to experiencing our hearts really open up even to other people. So there isn't, there isn't like this, this is not a four step process or or something like that. Right. Right. This is an experience of how now God is beginning to integrate into the fabric of everyday life. And for us, that was a important theme to grafted life. We knew there are a lot of great, um, resources out there for people who want to go on a retreat. Our question was, what do they do when they come back? (laughs) Right. So we began to call our materials a retreat in everyday life. Yeah. Right. That's good. And because we saw that there was a gap in there that would continue to hold people. How many times have you heard people say, boy, I had such a great experience when I went to camp when I went to retreat, you know, right. after that weekend of silent, whatever it was, right? They experienced that. They experienced something really unusual and distinct with the Lord in that. But then they asked the question, but then it just feels like Monday comes and I'm kind of right back in it again. We wanted to be a resource for people when Monday comes. That's so good, Kurt. And you know, the thing is, is I heard Rick Warren say a few years ago at a conference I was at that we all need catalytic events in our lives followed by a continuous process, right? And so the catalytic events, you just described them, are things like, well, the conferences, or maybe it's a personal retreat, or, or it's a watershed you know, meeting you go to, or something. A spiritual discipline you might engage in for a period right. or something, but right? But it's, it's the Monday through Saturday life, right? Um, that everyday walk with Jesus you know, that, that a lot of us struggle with. That's where it's that continuous process where we need help you know, along the way. Um, I, I recently was teaching Psalm 23, and, and I, I got to teach the section where it says, um, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, mm-hmm. right? It's the, as you were saying, Debbie, it just struck me that it's the very presence of God that helps us live above fear and anxiety. It's the ever-presence, right? I can fear no evil because you are with me. 
Um, and so that's part of, of what you discovered. So can, can I ask you, is it out of this experience, like that, what was, what was birthed first? Was it life with God or what, what did you work on first? You know, it was life with God. Um, you know, I looked back in my journal a little while ago because I couldn't remember, like, how did even the idea for life with God come? And Kurt was actually on a three-week intensive personal retreat, and he had been gone. Wow. And I was at home by myself, and it was at the very end of those three weeks that this idea came to me. I said, we need to write a journey for people. Mm-hmm. Like, we need to we need to give them a way to process their life mm-hmm. with God mm-hmm. for a set amount of time. and um, Until they develop a habit. In yeah, effect, and at that point, it wasn't even, it wasn't own, even, right? I didn't know. I mean, it, 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 life with God morphed, you know, into what it was. But, but yeah, like, how can we create something that allows people to have a journey in their regular life <laughs> and allows them to process with God, discover when we first just, it was funny because when we first decided to do this thing, people said, well, what do you get at the end? Like, if we do this whole thing, do you get a certificate? Do you get something? I said, we, we jokingly said, I think you get a life with God. God. <laughs> that, that would kind of be the goal, right? Yeah. yeah. And we've had people, you know, that have gone through the whole thing. And they're like, yeah, like I know it, somewhere along the line, it dawns on them. I'm doing life with God differently. Like I'm getting a life with God. Like I'm learning how in everything that happens in my life to actually relate with him, to talk with him, to talk it over, to figure it out, to share my feelings, to be present Mm -hmm. with God in my daily life. And so that's what you get at the end, hopefully, is the life with God, because he's the one really directing the process and wooing you into this relationship with him that is more abiding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so good, man. I, uh, um, I'm, I'm, uh, did you have something you were going to jump in on? I was just going to say, I think it's beautiful that um, as you were going through all the training that you went through, um, the Holy Spirit brought up stuff that you hadn't dealt with mm-hmm. your whole life and helps you see it through new eyes. But it sounds like your training gave you new tools. Yeah, it's hilarious that it happened in seminary, too, because that's usually where faith goes to die, right? <laughs> yeah, well, we had a yeah. special seminary program. <laughs> you know, we had, a, we had a seminary program in which you had to have a spiritual director and you had to go to therapy. <laughs> you know, yeah, it was, it was, and it was designed to be experiential. Right. So they, and I, I, God bless the whole thing that they right. realize you can't train people in spiritual formation unless you give them opportunities to be spiritually formed in the process. Exactly. And so, I mean, it was my prof that invited me. He had this phrase. He said, you know, anxiety is the idiot light on your dashboard that's telling you there's something wrong. And he reframed that whole um, concept for me that this was an invitation from God, not something to be shunned or dealt with or put aside. And that was a real paradigm shift for me because I think in the church up until that point, that was something to get over. Mm-hmm. And his invitation was to walk into it. Yeah. It's Don't, interesting because yeah. we always see anxiety as a 
as a as a, a point of failure, right? Like yes. if you're anxious, then you're you're somehow not getting it, or but it's and seeing it as a dash light or a light on a dashboard, which actually is indicating for you that there's a deeper work or deeper something the Lord's wanting to put His finger on. Yes. An invitation. It's yeah. an invitation. It's an invitation. Yeah, and that was really and I think to your point, Diane, about when you said in your. Um, do you love me group that women, they felt that invitation. Like it's okay. Whatever's happening in my life to bring that here. And that was really, I think the paradigm shift for me about anxiety. Mm. Oh, I don't have, this isn't a shameful thing or something I have to quote unquote overcome Mm -hmm. in the Christian life that the Holy spirit is actually using this thing that feels so bad to me Mm -hmm. to invite me to a new way of life. Mm -hmm. So Debbie was in the middle of all of this, and um, and there were some tears. I mean, there was there, she was. Oh, let's not soft soap it. She it was, was like I would yeah, imagine it was it was, it was, it was an full, interesting time it was, for you. It was full meltdown <laughs> most of the time. It was. I'll be I'll be really vulnerable and open with you for just a second. I, I may regret this <laughs> a year from now, but um, I asked her one day. I said. Okay, so when does this like phase pass, and we, <laughs> and we did not and call we, it a phase, <laughs> and we get back to you know business as usual, right? Wow. Yeah, yeah. And she said, "Oh, honey, this is this is the way it's going to be from here on," mm-hmm. you know. And I'm sure my eyes got as big as saucers, and I thought, "What in the world have we gotten ourselves into here?" <sighs> But I saw her change. Really change. Not just have a good day. Not just change from try harder that works temporarily. I saw her talk to our kids differently. And one of them it said to us, one of them had said to us one day, I'd really like to have a real relationship with you guys someday. Mm. And I don't think we really knew what that meant, what we were missing, and how we were relating to our kids. I saw Debbie start talking to their hearts, where I'd always talk to their heads. And... um that convinced me. That was the thing for me that said, there's something to this. There's something I have been missing in my Christian upbringing. And um, I, I need to get on board. I really need to understand experience what this is about. And I really began to drop the defenses against a lot of this and begin to really watch and listen. And um, I think that was the point where I began to realize my relationship with God was what I really wanted was a contract, an unwritten contract. And the deal I wanted with God was I'll go to church I'll try to do good things. I'll give because I know that's pretty important, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You make your list, mm-hmm. right? 
And all I want in return is you just leave us alone, right? No bad things, right? No, 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 no big things that are hard to deal with and recover from. It sounds so silly, but I've talked with a lot of guys who understand immediately when I say, you know, I think for many of us, our experience with God is really a contract. It's a deal. Transactional. We're hoping to make. It's very yeah. transactional. Yeah. And it's intended to keep God at arm's distance. That's kind of because we're afraid of him. We don't know what he'll do to us. Right? And it comes from a fundamental misunderstanding of who God is. Right. And what he wants for us and what he's doing mm-hmm. in the process of creating these invitations mm-hmm. to experience him in a different way. And I think once I began to understand that and open my, you know, my heart and my life to that, I realized um, that something more than a contract is possible. Mm-hmm. So you, you're seeing this transformation in your in your wife right before my own eyes, yeah. Yeah, and you guys were in California at the time mm-hmm. as you were going through seminary. We were, and uh, it, it's quite a departure, right, from the past, uh, from where you were. Yeah, enormously. I mean, we'd both grown up, both PKs, both grown up in the church. We'd learned the Bible stories, you know. Um, and as Debbie began to unpack stories that are so familiar to all of us, the story of the Garden of Eden as just a starting point, right, right in Genesis, right at the first, the first study in life with God, I've had guys tell me, I had a pastor tell me, I've probably read Genesis 200 times and I've never seen these things mm-hmm. in the story of the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. And it's because Debbie's focus is on, um, and really the Holy Spirit through what has been written by her and Monica, so much on the relationship mm-hmm. between Adam and Eve and, and with God. And she begins to focus on that through those early weeks of the study. And I think that that's part of what grips people. Mm-hmm. So they think, you know, I've heard this study, I've heard this story all my life, mm-hmm. but I've never heard it told this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that begins then to create that invitation. Say, oh my goodness. I, I knew that that happened, but I'd never seen it in that light. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think, I think a lot of that came out of, too, again, just my personal experience, my personal transformation was to look at Scripture and not just see rules anymore, not see hmm. things to do or ways to change, but to actually see, oh, God is here relating with people and he's here even relating with me as I read it. And it became a personal thing rather than, um, like you said, transactional, like I read this to learn what I'm supposed to do. Right. No, I, I, I engage with scripture because God is in it and because he's helping me understand who he is and who I am when I am present with him there. Right. And so then all the relational things just started jumping off the page at me. I mean, it became, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, It thrilled me and broke my heart at the same time, you know, as I started becoming actually present with the stories. So that concludes part one of the journey of relationship. 
Now we encourage you to tune in to part two, the conclusion of this conversation between Mark and Diane and Kurt and Debbie. Thank you so much for listening. Please reach out to us. We would love to help you in your journey of relationship with God and with others.